0: All right, get your Bibles out. We're going to Acts chapter 5. I can already tell I'm not going to stay sitting very long. All right. Acts chapter 5, we're starting in verse 21. I hear some actual paper rustling today. That's fun, that's fun right there. I hear you, Dolly. I got you. All right. All right. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this time. We are coming before you with our, with our hearts open to be taught. Uh, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word? We're not, we're not coming proudly or with, with ideas that we, we think we can tell you what your word says, but you get to teach us now. We're open to that. We are humble before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You remember where we're at in the storyline? Peter and all of the apostles have been arrested. They were, uh, this was a big big PR stunt. Well, it wasn't really a stunt. It was a statement on behalf of the high priest. They were officially saying, we don't want none of that. We don't want none of this Jesus stuff going on. Um, we, we've butted heads with the apostles before, but now we're saying publicly to everybody, this sect, this way of believing is not acceptable. So they put them in a public prison, so everybody knows they're there. Everybody can see them. They didn't hold them in a private little holding cell at the temple. Um, but as we talked about last week, that, that PR move backfired and became a nightmare for them because they did it publicly, they did it for everybody to see, and then publicly and for everybody to see, suddenly they were not in the prison anymore. God released them uh, somehow, we're not really clear on, the Bible doesn't really say exactly how that happened, but suddenly they're out and, he's, and the Lord says, go back to the temple, keep preaching the same message. The whole thing, don't change it because people are ticked at you. Keep going, do what you're supposed to do. And at daybreak the next day, they they did exactly that. So we're picking up here in uh, verse twenty one. Upon hearing this, the, they uh, the apostles entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together even all the senate of the sons of israel um, this is called the sanhedrin and sent orders to the prison house for them the apostles to be brought but the officers who came did not find them in the prison and they returned and reported back saying we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors but when we had opened uh, when we had opened up we found no one inside now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed and uh, perplexed about them as to what would come of this. Yeah, I would imagine so. At that moment, we're going, what is going on? The doors are locked; they're just not there anymore. Um, I, I imagine there was a little bit of a, a, a memory of what had happened with Jesus. In the tomb, and suddenly his body 's not there anymore, right so this is this is not what they 'd wanted to hear first thing in the morning, before coffee, um, they were not not happy about this they 're wondering what 's going to come of this but somewhat, while they 're in that state of per, uh, perplexity, um, somebody comes and says, reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, teaching the people, and the captain of the temple guard, went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick or cut to the heart and intended to kill them. Yeah, that's a positive note to end on right there. And so that's where we get today's message title, the believer's death wish. Death wish. It does seem that as Peter and the apostles are back before the high priest whom... Uh, you know, and this is more than one man, this is a, a kind of a family of leaders, and then the, uh, the Sadducees, a sect of religious leaders, who were really corrupt. They were really, like, there were the religious ones that were off base, the, the Pharisees, they were religious. Uh, they were trying to, to fulfill the Scripture and, and observe the law, and they were really legalistic about it, and they have their own set of issues. Right now we're dealing with the Sadducees, the Sadducees are the secularized ones. They're the ones that want things to be like the Greeks. And, and they're, they're in it for the money. They're in it for the influence and the authority and the power. And so that's why they had zero tolerance for Jesus. Because Jesus was coming in and messing up their system, messing up their, their cash flow, cleaning out the, the, uh, the money-making efforts in the temple. Um, they were not about this guy. And also, if he really was the Messiah, like Scripture said, which they knew, uh, he would completely take away their system. Like, that era would have been over for them, and so they wanted to prolong that era a little bit more. Um, personal enurement, uh, um, or private enurement. There we go. There's a tax phrase for you. That was for you, Jan. Um, all right, so in this passage, we have the, the 12 apostles, all of them arrested in the temple, put in a public jail. Um, the, the leaders have made their position clear. The angel of the Lord sets them free, sends them back to the temple the next morning, and they're preaching again. They're probably pretty excited because of what just happened the night before. They, they're not gonna change anything about their gospel. They're not gonna compromise anything. The Sanhedrin gathers first thing in the morning because they don't do business at night. That's part of their deal. Uh, first thing in the morning, they get they get together so they can interrogate and deal with this new sect of believers uh, of of Judaism very seriously. They want to put an end to this, but they call for them and they're and they're not in the prison. And this is really disturbing. They're they're uh, perturbed, and while they're trying to figure all this out and go, oh great now they 're just like jesus they 're just going to disappear. the stones don 't hold them in place uh, guards don 't make any difference. Um, this is going to be this is going to be a problem while they 're in that moment. Messengers come from the temple saying, "Hey, guys, remember the ones you arrested last uh, yesterday and you put in the public jail i don 't know what 's going on. you guys don 't meet at night so you couldn 't have done anything overnight, but they 're back in the temple they 're back there right now doing the same thing you just arrested him for yesterday the captain of the temple uh, guards and his soldiers carefully approach him this time no 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 laying on of hands they weren't they weren't going to grab him and shake him and make a show of this this time because everybody saw that they arrested him yesterday and now they're back in the temple so if they if they do that like people are going to be really worked up scripture says they were afraid they would be stoned by the people in the temple if they were violent with them. So they basically invited them. <laughs> hey, you've been summoned. Uh, the high priest would really like to talk with you. <laughs> and, and they went. That's kind of an amazing little fact right there. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, might have, uh, I might have been tempted to sit there and say, let's see, they arrested us yesterday. God let us out. They're asking us, they're not going to force us, what if I say no? What if we just, nah, we're going to stay here and do what we're doing. Anyway, they went with them. They went with them. Um, undoubtedly, the leading of the Holy Spirit had something to do with that. Um, the guards were worried about the reaction of the people around. The Jews were notoriously emotional. Uh, the Romans, the Rome, it, we see this in Roman history uh, documents. The Jews were like a problem, because if you did one wrong thing, they were going to be rioting in the temple, and Jerusalem would go up in flames, and we'd have to squash a rebellion again. Like the Jews were a known problem, and the Jews themselves knew this and kind of took pride in this, and and they were just like, you know, so 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 the temple guards, who were Jews, knew this, and they were like, we we ain't starting nothing today. We're not. We're not not doing that. The apostles go with the soldiers. They go of their own free will without the use of force. And and then they get before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is called, they met in a room called the, the Hall of Hewn Stone. And it was kind of a half circle setup up where all of the, the leaders of the tribes of Israel and, and religious leaders would sit in a semi-circle like this. The high priest would sit on uh, almost a throne up front. And then, the, the subject matter or the person speaking would be in the center of this semicircle. And so they, they bring all 12 of them and set them in the, in the front of this semicircle. And the high priest himself does the questioning. Usually it would have been somebody else, somebody familiar with subject matter, whatever. So high priest himself, this is a high-profile deal, says, he, he begins his question You reminded them, Reminded them that just not long ago they had been strictly commanded not to do the very thing that they were doing, not to be speaking in the name of Jesus. And he and then he says, You have, instead of listening and obeying, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're intentionally stirring the wrath of all the people toward the high priest and the Sanhedrin because they were the ones that had Jesus killed. Remember what I said just a moment ago about the Jews being very emotional people. The high priests knew this too. And they were trying to handle this really well and really, you know, use their brains and and be politically savvy on this. But they knew that the Jewish people, if the teaching of the apostles really got a majority, they might, like, actually be in trouble and fear for their lives. The people might, they were that volatile. The high priest says, you're, you're intentionally doing this. You're trying to turn people against us. <laughs> and Peter responds, this is actually where we get our 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 sermon title, uh, the death wish part, because Peter just seems to have this death wish. He just like, okay, take a step back, Peter. Be a little bit more political in your approach here. You don't have to say it so bluntly and in their face. It, it's like the verbal middle finger, right? It's just like... Oh, yeah? (laughs) So he quickly, he turns it around. He quickly reminds the high priest of what he had said the last time they were together in this room, which was, you decide for yourself, should we obey God or man? So he he starts with that. He he says, we must obey uh, obey God rather than humans. And we obviously have a conflict here. So what's going to happen? And then, and then he doubles down on that charge and pronounces their guilt again. It's like he's trying to get them to kill him. Uh, in, in today's language, we would call that a death wish. That's, that's um, what was happening right there. At least it, it would appear that way. And then next, Peter concisely describes the heart of the message that is causing all this trouble, the heart of the movement. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah of God. Now God has lifted him to a place of glory and he, he, God has lifted him up on high and and he talks about the reason he came being to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. I want to take a couple of these words in what he said. This was a beautiful, like two and a half verses, the whole gospel to Israel right here. Just... Inspired, inspired speech by the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus, God has exalted Jesus. Exalted means to lift up on high, to to lift up um, higher than other things. Jesus used this word to speak of his crucifixion when the Son of Man is lifted up. He also says that uh, we read where he was praying to the Father and says, uh, you have now glorified your Son. Um, exalted. So it's, but it's a double meaning. It, it's the place of honor. It's lifted up to the place of honor, but it's also lifted up just visibly, exalted. And so we see the double meaning of Jesus on the cross and Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Peter says God exalted Jesus, meaning God knew both meanings. God sacrificed him on the cross, but he also raised him up As the Messiah. Then Peter says that Jesus came, the reason he came to Israel was to grant repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, We in the Holy Spirit are witnesses to this. The the elements of repentance and forgiveness were not part of the Jewish thinking of the Messiah. They didn't think they needed repentance and forgiveness, they needed a deliverer. They needed somebody to come and whoop up on their enemies. Uh, bust up the, the grip of the, the oppressors and and set them free, restore them to their former glory. They weren't thinking matters of the heart and knowing God and being close to him as as, their, as his people. So Peter's reminding them again that Jesus wasn't here at this time to set you free from Roman oppression. He was here to bring repentance, to give repentance, it says. To grant repentance, to give you a chance to repent, to give you a chance to change your mind about who God is and how he works, and for the forgiveness of sin. I can imagine Peter saying this and the high priest responding viscerally with the nerve (laughs) to suggest that we, the chosen people of God, would need to repent and be healed of our sins when the wicked and pagan Gentile world is oppressing us. They are far worse than we are. They should be the ones being dealt with, not us. They're the problem. So this was not not how they wanted to think about this. And then Peter says, and we are witnesses. Witnesses is the word uh, martyr. And we we will take the word martyr, we use that word as somebody who gives their life for their beliefs, for, for their faith. Um, it was a little bit broader than that as they use this. It was often used in a legal context. It was uh, used in a court setting, somebody who had experienced something and was willing to talk about it. One who was mindful, one who heeds the details around them and what they experienced. A witness was one who verifies, affirms, and declares what he has himself seen or heard or knows by any other means. It was one who was a spectator of something, and now they're willing to tell the story of that. Most of the time, and especially in a legal setting, you put your word on the line. I mean, this, this is more, if you're caught lying, this is a big deal. Often, witnesses, especially as we know them, martyrs, uh, took this to the point of death. They were willing to they were very convinced of what they had experienced this was not something that they bought into and thought it would be a good uh, a good move for their religious standing in the community This was something they experienced they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit many of these people knew Jesus personally they saw him they walked with him after he was raised from the dead uh, from the dead and They were witnesses. They knew. There was no going back, and many of them would die violent deaths. So Peter says, we are witnesses. We're standing by this. We experienced it, and we're not backing down. And the Holy Spirit is a witness with us also. The Holy Spirit, being spirit, is not confined to a body. He speaks to all people all the time, if we will listen, and he moves as he wants to. Peter says he's a witness to this, meaning the things that he says, the things that he does, are pointing towards Jesus. The way that he will speak to your heart, the way that he will move, the supernatural things that are happening that we're all talking about, they are pointing towards Jesus. This message from Peter makes the Sanhedrin and the leaders so angry that they are already intent on killing them by the time they're done speaking. The apostles not only have said this to their faces, but are apparently telling the people in the city the same thing. And they're saying that these guys are to blame. That's not okay. How dare you defy us the authority? The next passage we'll we'll study has to do with um, the Lord bringing some restraint by wisdom to that context, but we'll deal with that another time. Right now, they're ticked; these dudes are going to die. Okay, so what does this what does this mean? We continue to see the apostles filled with boldness to obey. We continue to see the Holy Spirit's leading them and giving them things to say in the face of intense pressures and very real threats. We continue to see the opposition to the gospel for political reasons, power, wealth, influence, um, and those things that would be compromised by Jesus' message of repentance and forgiveness. But here in this moment, we see a kind of a new level. A new level of opposition, a new level of rage. And it's caused by, as we read here, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their own hearts. These are not people that are following God and really want to know Him. And yet, the Holy Spirit brings conviction to their hearts. Luke says it like this in Acts. He says, they were cut to the quick. They were cut to the heart. That, that word for cut to the quick, cut to the heart, is... Literally, if you were to paint a picture of this word, it means to be sawn asunder or divided in two by a saw, to be cut through and divided mentally, or to be rent, torn apart with vexation, cut to the heart. There's only one other time in scripture this word is used, and it's in the Old Testament. It was, a, it was a Hebrew word, but the Greek word that the translators in, in, in Greek used for this word is the same. One time it was used in 1 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament, and it literally meant people cut in half with saws. It, this is how Old Testament peoples handled enemies, uh, enemy cities and their inhabitants when they sacked the city. They also ran them over with heavy farm equipment, uh, that that passage in uh, First Chronicles says, um, "Iron harrows." So they they lay them out on the ground and run them over, cut them all up. Uh, this this was just this was just normal. Nobody thought twice about this. But that's the word that we're talking about when it says "cut to the heart." You got the visual there. It's kind of nasty, gory. Yeah, these guys were messed up. They were messed up their their emotions were all over the place, they're angry, and they have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this moment. They were sawn asunder their 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 hearts were cut. their conscience was so troubled by the truth of what they heard, and they had grown so defensive and then enraged in response. It was as if their heart was being cut in two. I also think of the passage in Hebrews 4 where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking, he's bringing conviction, and this is their response. As we study this scripture, even even narrative parts like this, we must be putting ourselves in a position to learn from the word. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you saying to us? What does this mean? What eternal truths in this passage am I to, to pick up today? And I see two questions Inspired by this passage. One is, do I have this level of boldness and conviction? In Jesus as my Lord and Savior? In the ministry of the Holy Spirit through me? Do I have this this level of confidence that we see exhibited in the apostles? um, To face challenges like this? I have to pause and I have to think about that. That's probably not a simple answer. Unless it's just a straight no. <laughs> and then that's pretty simple. No, I don't. I don't have that. But I think, you know, I'd like to think I like to think that in certain circumstances I would. But I have to be honest with myself about that, and I have to open myself to the Holy Spirit in that. This is the example set for us, these apostles, they have this level of confidence and boldness filled with the Holy Spirit. So I am to be like that. Am I like that? The second question is, is the gospel message that comes from me a message that evokes a response from people? Good responses? Really negative responses? Does it even register Or is it something that doesn't make any difference at all to the hearer? I have to ask these questions with an honest evaluation of myself. Many times I need the Holy Spirit's evaluation because I don't even know how to look at myself. I'll I'll think something that's completely untrue. (laughs) I need the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to me. I'm asking myself this as well as you In this moment, as we study this passage of Scripture, I certainly don't sit in judgment. We are just studying the Word together. So the questions, again, are, do I have this level of confidence and boldness in who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit working through me? Have I had that experience with Him that makes me a witness? And does the message that I share of Jesus, however I share that, does that message evoke a response? I have learned that if I just think about these things mentally and keep it in the academic level, just for discussion's sake, it usually doesn't hit home and no real changes ever occur. I can be a professional student. I can, I can do that. I enjoyed my time uh, in, in studies and in schools, and I can get really good grades. Um, that's just the way my brain works. I, t- I do good with tests. I can cram and, and do that. But if I leave it all there in the cerebral, then it doesn't affect anything in my real life on the other side of that. So as we hold these questions, it must go beyond here. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to look on the inside and speak to us. Here's the bottom line. The gospel that we have in this book is powerful. By nature it is powerful. It is life-changing, it is world-changing. Scripture it says that it is the power of God for salvation it is powerful it's not something that's just ho hum another option something that <clears throat> pardon me something that that uh, you can you can take or leave and and maybe parts of it even that you like and no that's not this is a life changing message and it must be communicated with people that do not know it this is who the church is supposed to be this is the the mission that we're on because we are just dis- Uh, Disciples of Jesus, it must be communicated. And to communicate it like that, it must be so burned in our hearts that, that it comes out of us even when we're not necessarily making a conscious effort. The gospel we share must be the true and powerful message of the gospel of God. And when it is it will elicit responses from people because the power of the Holy Spirit will accompany the preaching of the gospel. It will elicit responses. We see here in this, in this passage that it was a negative response, but undeniable that the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction and truth to these men's hearts. They just didn't like it. Now, plenty of other people were responding in Jerusalem and and. They liked it. (laughs) You know, that was a positive response. People were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus based on what they heard in the gospel and the Holy Spirit's accompanying ministry to their hearts. When he spoke to their hearts, they responded positively. If we are preaching, if we are teaching, if we are talking about or living out with our lives something other than the true gospel, it will not have that power. And so we come back to that question. Is the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we live, something that evokes a response from the hearers, from those that witness our life? And then the other question about boldness and confidence. We're not talking about going out and picking, out, picking up fights with people and, and trying to tick people off on purpose or uh, making enemies. We're not trying to be aggravating in our community. We're not trying to just be rabble rousers. I'm thinking right now of a video that, that I've watched. I don't know, some some of you have heard this, and Seth will laugh, but it's called The Honest Preacher. <laughs> you should look it up on YouTube. It's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny, and and... The longer you've been in church, the funnier it is. Um, <clears throat> the line from that video that, that sticks out to me is, don't be jerks. Be good. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, the, the boldness the boldness and the conviction is not going to come out in a way that degrades people, that just picks fights with people. Um, <clears throat> It's not going to be coarse. It's going to be Holy Spirit-led, which means it's holy and good and kind, even if people respond negatively. But we must be willing to take on a fight when it comes to us for the gospel's sake. When it's about the gospel, we stand firm. When it's about commands from God, we stand firm. And this is where we must be willing to take on that same death wish that Peter had. I mean, for a believer, the death wish kind of thing uh, can also just be in the light of 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We are of good courage. And I say, and rather prefer to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord, right? So, so in the end, yeah, if, if our body dies, then, then we're immediately in the presence of the Lord. Peter and the apostles had that, had that mindset. It made the, the sacrifice or the putting their life on the line a, a, an easy thing because they knew that what was coming was better than what they had right now. They were willing to lay this down. They were willing to suffer. Ariella, come on up and play. Good timing. I know. they were willing to to put their life on the line they had that perspective and and that is the example that's put before us that's what we see today as we study this is we must move in that direction let me let me say that again we must move in that direction that perspective must become important to us to understand what is coming, to understand our God, to be familiar with him to a point that we are willing to lay everything down knowing that it is so temporary compared to what's coming. This is a key aspect of how how they could be bold, full of the Holy Spirit, knowing that they would suffer and die because Jesus told them that they would. They knew that what was coming was far better. And their confidence was rooted in, the, in their personal experience with Jesus himself. So there was, no, there was no doubt about this. They knew Jesus. They saw him die, and they experienced the resurrected Jesus. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives in the upper room on Pentecost. They'd been baptized. They, there was things that just could not be explained in a rational human sense. We're talking about men from Galilee speaking in other languages. This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And all of Jerusalem knew this. There was no doubt when they witnessed the lame man walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. They, they had experiences. They knew that there was power, that God had a plan, and that he would take care of them even if they gave their life physically. So I encourage you. I encourage Encourage myself to move in this direction today. Join me in moving that way. Move toward Jesus. To know Him better. To know Him well. To understand His love. Paul says, I pray that you would understand. You would have a, a good understanding of the love of God for you. I loved what Seth said earlier about the effort and the intentionality of, of, the, of God creating a garden for us to be in relationship together. To learn, we, we need to learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to hear Him and sense His leading on the daily. We need to learn to speak and act and move in faith when He gives direction. We need to get familiar with stepping out of our comfort zones. <laughs> See, Peter had a death wish he was fearless the apostles went the same way all of them and that's the example that has been set for us I know you don't have anybody threatening to burn your house down and and, you know harm your family because you're a Christian and I'm not saying that should be the case We can talk another time about how when life is easy for Christians our spiritual health declines rapidly. But in times of trouble and in times of desperation when it gets really, really real then we see the power of the Holy Spirit move because we're dependent on Him. Would you pray with me, Lord? This is a, a wild, wild experience that we're reading about with with dis, the disciples, the apostles, Peter, and the others. Sometimes it's a little hard to get to, to understand the mindset, the brazen boldness, and the Pointing his finger right at the high priest, the, the one who's about ready to have him killed, to be willing to to sacrifice all that, to to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, "Go, do exactly the same thing that you've been doing. Don't change anything because they're threatening you." Lord, this is this is a boldness. So we don't we actually don't really see a lot of opportunity for this to be exhibited in our culture right now. But Lord, we're asking that you would work in our hearts, that you would draw us to that place where, where the fire that comes from your presence would just kind of spill out in other places. Lord, we're asking that the true gospel, the pure gospel would reside in us and, and that gospel is what the world around us hears. One, because we need them to hear the gospel with power and not, and not a powerless gospel. And two, because we still need the pure gospel. We still need that pure gospel. Lord, we're willing to repent. We're willing to change the way we think about you. We're willing to, to come to you and ask for forgiveness for our sin. We're not going to let that be a barrier. Lord, Give us courage. Holy Spirit, lead us and distill this pure gospel in our hearts again. Lord, we're going to need some real experience in your presence. We're going to need to be with you in such a way that there is no doubt that we have experienced you. So we're asking you to to do that, draw us to that place today. These are questions that you can continue to ask yourself as as time goes, as you have moments with the Lord. Do I see that kind of boldness in my heart? And is the gospel that I present the pure gospel accompanied by the Holy Spirit's power? Are people affected by this? Or do we just play nice together? Lord, work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you go this week, may you be full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May your heart burn with passion for Jesus. And your gospel carry the power of God for salvation. Amen.